Thank you for joining us for this season of We Will Flourish. Conversations and stories of flourishing together in Oklahoma City. We Will Flourish is not a newsreel of current events or knowledge base of data or statistics. Rather, it is a tapestry woven from human stories and perspectives, helping us both to celebrate our successes as a city and learn from our mistakes. In this season of We Will Flourish, we are taking time to unpack flourishing as a city from a personal perspective. The word justice is often employed by everybody in an argument and they're claiming it's on their side, right? So we're all in an argument promoting a political or a personal agenda and we're all saying justice. And so in that situation, it's not surprising that people are sometimes triggered by the word. So it's clear for, for each of you guys in your kind of context, you're growing up somewhat even generational. I think there's this, this awareness, this kind of cultivation engagement with issues of justice. Mm-hmm. So coming to this conversation, there can be some people who are more combative or resistant to having conversations about justice. Uh, how do you approach those conversations and those people that are kind of at that place in the journey? Um, I recognize that I can be combative (laughs) and resistant (laughs) and a little sassy at times. (laughs) And um, so I I try to approach with grace, Mm -hmm. just like with, you know, care, but clarity at the same time, um, speaking the truth in love. And that is such a you know, fine line to dance sometimes of how do I, how do I say this hard truth in a loving way instead of saying the truth kind of hard, mm. <laughs> period, end of story. Um, so what I found to be my best personal strategy is the table and mm. bringing people together at the table who would not normally have a chance to interact with each other. And then as they see some of their, you know, common ground and some of the areas that they share, like, you know, we all might be struggling to parent our children or, you know, get along with our spouse or, you know, make ends meet in some way or whatever the difference might be, um, the, the, the things that we share in common might be. But um, as we then we can move into the things, having built some foundation of relationship mm-hmm that we don't see eye to eye because it's a lot easier to discount and to silence and to ignore and disbelieve people that you don't know Mm. and don't have a relational connection with. But once you enter into some level of relationship, so my approach is really to bring people into proximity with people Mm. that they don't normally agree with or, you know, share life with.
You know, I think the word justice is often employed by everybody in an argument and they're claiming it's on their side, right? So we're all in an argument promoting a political or a personal agenda and we're all saying justice. And so in that situation, it's not surprising that uh, Mm. people are sometimes triggered by the word. But as I think about my own journey, um, part of what's helped me to be able to engage conversations about systems of justice or injustice in a helpful way is that the systems never came first in my awareness. It was always a combination of relationships with people, mm-hmm. seeing how people are affected, and then spiritual resources from my faith tradition that are helping me to have a moral framework for that. Um, and so if I can help, if other people, that's not their introduction. Their introduction came from a heated political debate that they saw on cable news. That's a different entry point. Yeah. But if I can bring them into relationships with people and into um, the heart often of their own faith tradition, and how that can inform them. Now, that's a game changer. And just tell a quick story about this. So on the issue of immigration, so over half of the neighborhood I live in right now is, as I mentioned, first-generation immigrants from Mexico. And so I've got so many relationships going back many, many years seeing how this, um, how, how people are impacted by our immigration system. And so um, probably 10 years ago, a 20-year-old guy in my neighborhood knocked on my door and said, hey, I was like a drug dealer in this neighborhood, but then my mama's pastor came and told me that I should believe in Jesus. And now I followed him and he's starting to change everything. And I was told that you help people um, grow in their faith. Could you like mentor me? <laughs> and I said, sure, man, come on. <laughs> and uh, so Jose starts coming over to my house all the time. And he's uh, wants to take me to breakfast once a week before he goes to work really early and ask me questions about his faith. And so I'm just trying to share my life journey and read the scriptures with him and talk about his, his faith. But He's growing spiritually. He's serving me. He's serving my family. He's, he's going back to some of his old friends that are caught in some destructive lifestyles and trying to be a witness to them. But simultaneously, as this relationship grows, I'm becoming aware of, okay, he, he was brought to the U.S. as a kid by parents who were trying to get out of a situation of poverty and, and violence, who are trying to find a better future for their children. You know, there's no free public education in the environment he comes from, so he was never going to get to go to school if they were still in Mexico, but they could find work here and he could get education. So they brought him here. He did not have papers, but you know, didn't have any kind of legal status when he came. He doesn't know any of this till he's an adult. So now he's an adult, he's got a kid, and so now there's a, a, com- a combination of systemic and personal issues. He had a kid with a white woman whose dad is a racist and now won't let him see his own child. So he's not able to see his child, and he feels like he has no legal recourse because he can't get a lawyer and sue for parental rights or something because of his immigration status. He's afraid what's going to happen, and then he'll never see his kid again if he gets deported. At the same time, he's working jobs where sometimes they'll pay him and sometimes they won't. Some you know they'll they'll use racial slurs in the workplace place all the time, um, and a very high percentage of people who are here working without um, legal status experience wage exploitation like this. So he's going through all this and wrestling. What do I do now? And he's being exploited so much that it actually causes him to. He's struggling with depression, struggling with relapsing into some old lifestyles. And one day, like in order to make ends meet and be able to support his daughter, he goes to mow lawns with some of his old friends. And I don't see him the next day. The police show up knocking on the door with a picture. You know, is this, is this your friend? And he had been shot and killed. As far as we know, I hadn't done anything wrong. 
So I was wrecked by that and wow. went through a season of grief, grieving with his mom, grieving with, with our friends. But I didn't realize till years later the level to which I hadn't really grieved and processed that. Because several years later, um, I had seen so many people with similar stories. Their families had ripped apart. They had faced situations based on our immigration system. And often it wasn't any decision they had made. It was often a decision that their parents had made to try and get a better opportunity for their kids. And um, I felt just moved. I need to learn more about the systems that are affecting this. So I ended up going on this walk called Camino del Inmigrante, which was a walk from Tijuana, Mexico to Los Angeles um, with people that were like teaching about immigration and doing advocacy for immigrants. And so we were walking 15 miles a day and, and learning. And there was a bunch of immigrants and a bunch of advocates and allies there. And uh, on about the third day of that walk, something broke loose in me. Mm. There was a person leading us in a prayer. She had been for decades involved in the farm workers' struggle. You know, most um, farm workers in the United States, most agricultural workers are undocumented immigrants and they suffer wage exploitation at a huge level. So she had been working with them for decades and she led us in the prayer of the farm workers' struggle, written by Cesar Chavez. And the first petition of that prayer is, show me the suffering of the most miserable that I may know my people's plight. So God just started awakening something in my heart of like, have you really entered into the pain of your neighbors? As I'm processing that, there's a nurse there to treat the blisters of all the people that have been walking 15 miles a day. I've got a couple of blisters, so I'm in line. But the person in front of me is a woman named Irene, who was a Holocaust survivor in her late 80s, who after her sister was killed in a repatriation camp in Prague, her, she and her mother had escaped and had fled across Europe stealing food to survive, hiding from people in uniforms. And her mother told her the only way we can survive is to forget. So she had not even told many of her family and friends about this background. But then she started seeing stuff in the news about migrants and refugees. And she felt so much solidarity with these people, stealing food to survive, you know, hiding from people in, in uniform. And so she came on this walk and she was in front of me in line. Her feet were like covered with blisters. She's in her 80s walking 15 miles a day. Mm. So as I, I'm looking at her feet, Something breaks loose. That's something about what it means to enter into people's pain. And so that, that journey led me, okay, I need to raise my voice about this situation. I need to talk about this system. So we started hosting conversations, and it would be amazing. We'd have people come into the conversation being like, no empathy, no understanding. We've got to enforce the law. These people shouldn't be here. We've got to kick them out. They're taking over our country, was, was their rhetoric. And then we'd invite them to an event, and they would just hear the story of two or three actual immigrants telling their story. And then we'd read some Bible verses about loving the immigrant and they would start crying and saying, how can I help? And that's all it took was like a human encounter and a spiritual moral framework. Thank you for joining us for this episode of We Will Flourish. Consider subscribing to our podcast and following us on Instagram at all.flourish. You can also reach out to us through our website, flourishokc.com. We will flourish when we flourish together.